Bless the Lord this morning. Matthew chapter 5. Let's get our Bibles out and get to Matthew chapter 5. Preaching about the Beatitudes, amen? How be your attitude, Pastor Mike said. Don't answer that. I'm going to read to you uh, the Beatitudes this morning, all 12 verses of the first part of Matthew 5 there as you get there. Let's just thank the Lord for the word, and we're going to jump right in. Father, we thank you this morning that you love us and that we can come together as the body of Christ and worship in this place. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for moving in this place and drawing us in. We're so happy to be part of the church of Jesus Christ. And Lord, we ask the Holy Spirit to open up our hearts that we would hear the word and do the word, that we wouldn't be hearers only. So Father, we purpose as we hear this message to apply it to our lives so that we could see the blessing that's attached to obedience. We ask it in Jesus' name, and the church said, Amen. Amen. You know, that's the point of the drill this morning. Not that we would come to church and fulfill our religious obligation and listen to a message from the Bible and then go out the same way we came in. Amen. We come in so that we can hear the word and allow it to change us. And if it will change us, I'm telling you what, when we leave this place, we're going to have a clearer picture of Jesus and what we're called to do. We're going to be a blessing to other people's lives. So that's the point this morning of coming together and hearing the word. Now, uh, our text here, I'm going to read you these verses. I pay specific attention to verse 4, but uh, I'm going to jump right in and read you Matthew 5, 1 through 12. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 4, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kind of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Again, our target verse, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. As we look at the Beatitudes today, again, uh, they are, the word Beatitude means a supreme blessing. It comes from the root word to see God. So as we listen to Jesus and hear what he says, there's a blessing attached to applying these Beatitudes to our lives. Remember, we're not to just be hearers of the word, but doers. It does us no good to hear this message today and not go out changed and make some changes to the way we live. Say amen. Amen. So we're here for that this morning. Now, applying these principles will be an incredible source of blessing to us. Uh, The literary form we noted last week of a beatitude is this. Jesus gives the principle. He says, blessed. He gives the principle. And then he cites the the applying of that principle, what blessing is attached. So this week, verse 4, in its simplest breakdown is, blessed, those who mourn, they shall be comforted. I want you to get that in your spirit. Blessed who are those who mourn and what they shall be comforted. Now, the key to understanding this beatitude is defining what Jesus meant when he said mourn. 
No, just as the word poor and poor in spirit was a little off-putting last week, I I think mourning is worse. Amen? I mean, how many people, if we had a sign-up sheet after service, come up and sign up for mourning. (laughs) Few people are thinking about it. You're making me scared. And so, you know, mourning is an off-putting thing. It's not something that we enjoy. It's not something we desire. All of us have been through seasons of loss. All of us have mourned over things. I I remember, you know, there's just certain things in life that you mourn over. I remember one time, Pastor Mike, you were sharing you mourned over the passing of your youth. And I've I've been there too. And I'm thinking, looking in the mirror, where did it it go? go? And there's a mourning attached to that. And mourning is not something we desire. It's not something, you know, that we enjoy. You wouldn't catch people, you know, just daydreaming. Hey, what are you thinking about? Oh, mourning. Come on, loosen up Sunday morning. I'm just, I'm just hoping and praying for a long extended season of mourning in my life. Look, if that's you, they need to up your medication, okay? That, that's just not right. It's not what we desire. We don't wake up in the morning. Oh, I hope I suffer great loss today. So mourning is not a desirable thing, but it is part of life. You know, mourning was such a loathsome thing that in biblical times, they would actually hire professional mourners. Jesus went to heal some people, and there were professional mourners hiring there. What did they do? They would weep and wail and lament and carry on at a funeral procession to create the illusion that the person who died was important or well-loved or terribly missed. And, and it was just, you know, they had to hire them to do it. That's how, you know, a loathsome job it was. You know, maybe it was a tax collector or some rotten person who died, and they're like, oh, come on, guys, drum it up. You know, thank God we don't do things like that today. But mourning is, you know, it is a loathsome thing. It's not something that we desire. You know, there's nothing inherently sacred or noble or spiritual about mourning. Oh, I'm so, I'm in mourning. I'm so spiritual. I'm, you know, no, there's, there's nothing spiritual about that. There's nothing noble about that. In fact, Jesus had some pretty harsh things to say to one person who used mourning as a, a prerequisite not to follow Jesus. In Matthew 8, 21, uh, another one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. Now, how many of us would say that's a reasonable request? right? Supposed to honor your father and mother. This guy wants to, but Jesus saw through it, knew that he was using mourning as an excuse. Jesus' response in verse 22, but Jesus said to him, follow me and let the dead bury their dead. Ouch. Wow. Cuts right through it. Let the dead bury their dead. He, he looked at the spiritual deadness there uh, of people that didn't follow after him, and he, 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 didn't, he didn't say, oh, well, it's a noble thing. It's a sacred thing. It's a spiritual thing. Enjoy your mourning. No, Jesus cut right through all of that, and he said, let the dead bury their dead. So he, he, he didn't have any regard for mourning in the sense where it was used as an excuse. Now, of course, our Father in heaven, when we suffer loss, when we mourn, he's very close to his children, amen? How many have been through a loss, been through something that was, you know, just so powerful that without Jesus, you wouldn't have made it, but he was right there. Come on. Amen. He's close to us in times of loss. He's close to us in seasons of mourning. And it says here in Psalms 116, 15, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. God identifies with us in loss. 
But loss is a neutral. It's neither noble or spiritual or sacred. If it's done for the right reasons in the right contest, uh, God esteems it. But we have to get past the fact that, you know, mourning is something that's either spiritual or not spiritual. It's neutral. So what did Jesus mean when he said, blessed are those who mourn? He meant this. We as believers should have a degree of brokenness over the crooked things in the world that we see around us. We as believers need to grieve and mourn over the things that break God's heart. Because think about it, if our heavenly father is broken up about it and his people are just like, ah, no big deal, how have we identified with the father? There's a song that we used to sing around here called Hosanna, and the chorus said, uh, it was a bridge, it said, break my heart for what breaks yours. Everything I am for your kingdom cause. To me, that was the most powerful line in that song. I I've been singing it all week as I prepared this message. Father, break my heart for what breaks yours. You see, there's some things that break the Father's heart, and God's people need to mourn over them with him. Four things every Christ follower should mourn over. Now, uh, we already established that mourning's not an exciting thing. It's not something we desire. And I want to say to you, as a, a pastor, I've got to preach what the word says. I can't tickle your ears. I can't sugarcoat it. If you've been around here long enough, you know that I don't. So I want to tell you, fasten your seatbelts. If you have a hat on, adjust your chin strap. Because it's about to get real up in here. Okay? You guys look dead already. Praise God. I haven't even begun, and you're exhausted. Number one, we should mourn over, listen, we should mourn over our personal sin. You and I should mourn over our own personal sin. Now I know we're in Christ. We're covered by the blood of Jesus. If we sin, we can confess and repent, and he heals us, and, and all of that is valid and true, and it's what we live on. But listen, we should mourn over the fact that you and I so easily sin. To say we have no sin is to deceive ourselves. We confess our sin. So this morning, as your pastor, I'm confessing to you. I'm a sinner. And you know what? Uh, Sometimes I've walked with the Lord for so long since I'm 14 years old. And then I see, you know, anger flare up in me or jealousy flare up. And I'm disappointed with myself Amen. to the point where, you know, sometimes in the, um, in, um, in the shower just going, God, I don't know. And the water's beating down on me. And I go, you know, I just, just broken over the fact that after all these years, I still, I need a lot of work. Now, I know that's not for you. I'm just telling about myself this morning, but we need to mourn over our own personal sin. How easily Paul expresses, you know, what mourning over personal sin looks like in Romans seven in verse 23, he said this, but I see a different law in my members, in my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. Wow. That's powerful. That verse right there. Listen to verse 24, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of sin? You might read that verse and there's a lot of theology in there that needs to be untangled, but the bottom line is this, Paul saw his own sin and even as the greatest apostle who ever lived, who wrote two thirds of the New Testament, he says, oh wretched man that I am. Yeah. What is that? Is that rhetoric? Is it, is it rhetorical? No, he's mourning over his own personal sin. Paul had a thorn in the flesh. He prayed for God to take it away. God said, my grace is sufficient for you. All of us are going to struggle with those thorns. Yeah. 
with those sins, with those things that, you know, we just don't get it right. And there should be a sense of brokenness in our life over those things. Basically, it boils down to this. How do I feel about myself when I'm selfish? How do I feel about myself when I'm mean or judgmental or lustful or jealous? How do I feel about myself? You know, fill in the blank of what you struggle with, but how do I feel about myself? Am I okay with that? Do I justify myself? Do I continue to hurt those around me and say, well, that's just me? You see, there's too many people who are, you know, I don't know how else to say it, but they're mean or they're judgmental or they're selfish and they say, well, that's just me. And you know what? The, Jesus died because of me. <laughs> and, and that's something I need to deal with. Come on and say, yeah, that's just me, but God wants to change me so I'm less like me and more like him. Amen. I'm more like Jesus and less like Rick. <laughs> there needs to be a personal mourning then. Am I broken? Am I repentive? Do, am I willing to change? See, the Holy Spirit shows us our sin, not to condemn us, but to convict us so we'll repent and he can change us. But we've got to be willing to change. Have you ever met saints that, you know, they've been struggling with the same sin since you met them? We're supposed to be more than conquerors. You know, and I understand some things you, you wrestle with. You, you're just going to wrestle with maybe to the grave until you fall into the arms of Jesus. But the thing that separates us from the lost is we wrestle against sin. We, we are attempting to curb it, to try not to do it, to lay ourselves at the feet of Jesus. They just give themselves over to sin. And, then, and you know, well, I'm just, you know, hey, YOLO, you only live once. Yeah, and eternity's a long time to live without Jesus. So we struggle against sin. There should be a sense of brokenness in us as individuals. If we don't want to change, if we don't have a desire to grow, we need to find a place of mourning over our sin until God circumcises our hearts enough that we say, you know what? Yeah, it's just me, but Lord, change me. Change me, Lord. So we mourn over our own personal sin. Our joy is in the Lord, our hope is in Jesus, but when we see those things in our character, we cry out to God for change. Number two, we mourn over the condition of the modern church. Now, I love the body of Christ. In no way, as a shepherd, am I bashing churches or bashing denominations or bashing preachers, but the truth is the condition of the modern church requires us to take a good look and to mourn over some things. The church is the body of Christ, amen? Yeah. You as believers are all part of the body. Let me ask you a semi-rhetorical question this morning. How's the body doing? Don't answer. <laughs> is it sick? Is the body out of shape? Is it working properly, fulfilling its role? Is it making converts? Is it making disciples? Are people getting saved? Do we even care? how the body's doing. Well, our church is great and everything's going good and two people got saved and pray, praise God, the, the heck with the rest of the body. You know, if only one part of your body worked, you'd be concerned about the rest of it. Well, my arm is really good. Here, it's really good. <laughs> Nothing else is working, but you know, everything else. Come on, I'm working hard this morning. Oh, yeah. <laughs> doing a good job. You, got, you know, we have to care about other Christians. Yes. Oh, we're in our little American bubble of prosperity and blessing and the, you know, the heck with everybody else. And oh yeah, they're starving over here and they're at war over there and there's genocide over here. But, but you know, uh, wasn't the air condition just cranking in church this morning, praise God. Ouch. 
We should mourn over the condition of the modern church. It's a body. How's it doing? Now, let me say this. The church belongs to Jesus Christ. It is the body of Christ. I need a better amen. The church is the body of Christ. Amen. Listen, it's not man's church. I've heard people say, I've heard pastors say, I love my church or this is my church. Listen, buddy, it's not your church. I've wanted to reach right through the radio and lay hands on them. Because it, like, if, if you got a man at the head of your church, you got problems. Jesus is the head of the church. It's the body of Christ. Now, you say, Pastor, why are you making that point? The church is not led by men. This is not my church. It's Jesus' church. Jesus is in charge. He'll wake up his church. He'll discipline his church. He'll chasten his church. He'll make his church without spot or wrinkle. He'll wake his church up out of its slumber. Jesus is going to do all those things. <laughs> we don't need another program. We don't need a bigger building. We don't need cushier seats. We need the Holy Spirit to move in this place so that Jesus does what he's going to do in his church. Listen to me, and churches that refuse the Holy Spirit and don't want him to move are going to find themselves left out of what God is doing in the earth right now. So let's take the lid off the Holy Ghost and stop with the fear and the control and the programs and let God move. So the church belongs to Jesus. He's in charge of it. Having said that, when we look at it, we have to mourn over certain things that are going on because they break the Father's heart. There's places that call themselves the body of Christ that are doing things that are completely unbiblical. There are mainline churches that for years were preaching the gospel and sending out missionaries and, and being evangelical that now they're nothing more than decaying social clubs. What should we mourn over in the church? When the church condones and celebrates sexual conduct and philosophies and lifestyles that absolutely contradict God's word, we should mourn. When churches support and advocate for abortion and call it population control and birth control, we should mourn. I had a discussion with another Christian about how abortion is fine. It's just population control. It just broke my heart to see this person who said there was a Christian preaching a gospel like that. There are things in the church that should make us mourn. When the church abandons 2,000 plus years of theology to bow down to the whims of culture, to stay popular and well attended, we should mourn. When churches reject the authority of scripture, the move of the Holy Spirit, the making of disciples, and become self-help and social clubs, we should mourn. You and I all know of examples of churches that have departed from the word of God. Am I telling the truth? Yes. Raise your hand if you, if you know what I'm talking about. Amen. We should be praying for them. We shouldn't be all oh, judging them and hating on them. And it, it should break our hearts. We should mourn. We should pray that they would repent and come back and preach the truth. Amen. I'm praying for churches that have become apostate. Why? Because if we could get the churches preaching the gospel, some of these churches that are so big and so powerful and, and so their opportunity to reach the masses, I'm praying for those churches and you should too. Our mourning should be expressed in intercession that we would pray for the ailing parts of the body. That would we be, we repent of our denominationalism and say, well, oh, our denomination, you'd go to some churches, you think you can only be that denomination or you're not even a Christian. Wow. We should pray for the fragmentation of the body. And it should produce a willingness in us, our mourning should, to snap out of our own slumber. 
Oh, now, now, oh, we liked it when you were talking about other churches. But there's parts of us that have fallen asleep. Parts of us that have grown weary and well-doing. We say, I used to serve, and I used to be involved with the children. I used to do ministry, and now I just sit in church like a barnacle. There's no barnacle ministry in the Bible. Where I've fallen asleep, where I've grown weary and well-doing, I need God to wake me up from my slumber. I need to mourn over parts of the body. There are institutions and colleges that used to send out missionaries and some of these big colleges, that Harvard, I mean, they, they were at the turn of the century, they were sending out missionaries and, and preachers and now you can't even talk about Jesus there or they'll throw you out. That's right. The Father mourns over these things. We should mourn over these things. We should mourn over our own personal sin. We should mourn over the condition of the modern church. And number three, we should mourn over the brazenness of evil in our generation. Evil has become so brazen in our world in such a short time, it's stunning. Things that you would do in secret, things that you wouldn't say in public, things that would never be on TV or movie screens 50 years ago now are everywhere. And it seems like in just a short time, I mean, it seems like our generation has spun into the darkness at such a, an accelerated rate that it's sobering. Yeah. <laughs> to be a Christian that believes in the word of God, at some point, you know, it's like, we're the bad guys now. So evil is brazen. You might say, you know, well, how has this happened? And the righteous have to admit, this has happened on our watch. Not that it's our fault. We can't choose for people. We can't make people serve Jesus. We can't make a generation come to church. We've got a whole generation out there that's gone to you know, denominational churches or, or, or some of these big churches that you know, are just stuck in the past and they are tired of church and they don't wanna go anymore. And they're like, if this is what it is, you know, I don't wanna go. And they're not bringing their children. So we have an unchurched generation. I have people walking in here every week and I ask them, have you ever been to a church like this? Grown people in their 30s. I've never been to church. I've had people who raise their hand for an altar call. Do you want Jesus to forgive you of your sins and be the Lord of your life? They raised their hand. That was their first time in church. Huh. They're batting a thousand, first time in church. They got saved. It's a good day. But think about that. You know, the brazenness of evil in our world and it's happened on our watch, and we need to mourn over that, that as we preach the gospel and the love of Christ and the forgiveness of sins and, and that it's for everybody, uh, and the world says, we don't want it. Wow. Where has evil become brazen in our generation? Things that you couldn't see in a CD movie theater 50 years ago are broadcast on primetime TV now. You gotta watch what your kids are looking at in the middle of the afternoon. Sexual immorality is so prevalent that even the majority of young people raised in church are fornicating. They're not waiting for marriage and there's no repentance over it and it just happens. We, we see adultery even in leadership within the body of Christ. Our marriages fail at a higher rate than that of the world. We should mourn over that. We find brazen corruption in the highest echelons of leadership and nobody is ever held accountable for it. We've seen prayer driven out of the classroom in the town square, and both have become shooting galleries, and we wonder why. Our generation has made idols out of people who can pretend on a movie screen or play a game with a ball, and we refuse to go to church, and we just celebrate those idols instead. People who can make music. 
Our generation has raised kids that are undisciplined, unappreciative, and unchurched. Our generation worships the creator over, worships creation over the creator. It's about the planet. It's about the body. It's about nature, but it's not about God. Our generation has championed evolution and mocks the idea of intelligent design, although creation testifies that there has to be a creator. Our generations confuse the genders. We've embraced feminism and chauvinism and we've destroyed the biblical family and we've done it all while we're intoxicated by pleasures, materialism, entertainment, and technology. I'm not here to be Debbie Downer, but there's room to mourn over those things because they break God's heart. I have so many friends that are not Christians and they, they, they don't know Christ and I've tried for years to build relationship with them and still some of them are, I don't want this Jesus. I had one friend tell me, I'll burn in hell before I accept Christ. I love that guy. We live in a world that says no to forgiveness, to mercy and grace because evil has become so brazen that it's poisoned their understanding of what forgiveness and love is. We can't be okay with these things. We have to mourn over them. They break God's heart. They should break ours. Father, break our hearts once again. Father, where we see darkness encroaching on every area, help us to realize the light that's in us can pierce the darkness. The good thing about seeing evil everywhere is this, the light that we have just blows the darkness away. Tell people about Jesus, love people, hang out with people that are lost. I wasn't planning on this. It's not my notes. Father's heart is broken. Do we even notice? Help us, Lord, to mourn. Well, not only should we mourn over our own sin and the condition of the church and the brazenness of evil, we should mourn over the multitude of lost around us. You know, because of the distractions of this world and the pleasures, because of how hard society has made it for us to make a living, and how busy all of us are, the church's missionary effort and evangelical effort have become anemic. Still God cares for the lost more than he cares for the comfort of the saved. Our heart needs to burn with a desire to, to put missionaries on the field. Our heart needs to burn with a desire for those who don't know Jesus because that's what God's heart burns for. How have we lost our way in that? How have we been more concerned about making our own little places more comfortable and 
better buildings, better seating, better sound systems, better preachers. But yet, the world is lacking. How much do we care about the lost who don't know Jesus? Who are lost in their sins? Who are headed for an eternity apart from God? Notice Jesus' response to the lost of his generation where he ministered there in Matthew 9, 35. Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. That's a picture of what the church should be doing in the earth, teaching, proclaiming, healing. You know, we hear about these opportunities to come to things like celebrate recovery. We have altar services. God still heals broken hearts and heals broken minds and heals broken bodies. God still moves. Verse 36, Jesus' response to the, the coldness and the lostness of the people. Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, that's us, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. You see that Jesus looked and he didn't judge them. He didn't say, oh, they're, they're filthy sinners. Do you know what they've done? Do you see the adultery? Do you see the fornication? No, he looked at them and had compassion. The main thrust of the church needs to be compassion, not judgment. We, we never depart from the truth, but we don't judge the lost. We show them the love of Christ. Jesus had compassion, and then right away he, he said, the harvest is plenty. The, the harvest is out there. I need workers. It's almost as Jesus is saying, I need people to have a heart to do the things that I did once again. Help us, Lord. We should be praying for the lost. We should be sharing Christ with everyone. You say, who should I share Christ with? Well, there's a checklist. Number one, are they breathing? <laughs> Number two, do they have ears? <laughs> That's it. If they don't have ears, write it down. Figure out a way to share. Touch the people around you, the person in the office next to you, that, that friend that you golf with, the person who gives you your egg sandwich in the morning. Shine your light in the dark. Have a burden for souls. Don't be so busy. Don't be in such a rush that you, you miss divine opportunities to touch people. People are hurting. People are broken. If we're in tune with the Father's heart, we'll sense the brokenness and we'll mourn over the lostness. If we're in tune with the Father's heart, the evil of this generation will make us want to shine our light all the more. If we're in tune with the Father's heart, the condition of the modern church will drive us to our knees so that we'll pray. If we're in tune with the Father's heart, our own personal sin will drive us to the altar with tears of repentance so that we can be more like Christ and less like the old man. The good news today is this, if we'll mourn now, the text says that we'll be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. You see, the world is partying now, the world is celebrating now, the world is enjoying all the pleasures of sin for a season now, but yet God calls the body of Christ at moments to be in mourning for the world. And this morning, 
if we would mourn now over the things that I talked about, there'll be a blessing attached to those things because there'll be comfort for you and I in all eternity because we would have the Father's heart here on earth. We wouldn't be distracted by the pleasures of this world. Although our joy is in the Lord. Now listen to me. Uh, when you hear a message like this about mourning, I don't want you to go out there and be so somber that you, not even the devil wants to hang out with you. <laughs> you ever get around Christians that are so depressing, you're like, oh. Wow. <laughs> the joy of the Lord is our strength. Amen. Amen. The joy of the Lord is our strength. <laughs> Knowing Jesus is the most awesome thing in the world. So let's act like it. Amen. Sour puss lemon Christians. <laughs> we mourn, but we rejoice in the fact that whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Let's bow our heads today. Father, this is a tough message, but it's your word. Break our hearts for what breaks yours, Lord. Help us not to be so comfortable with sin that we don't repent. Help us to care about the lost and your church. It's your body. The church doesn't belong to man. It belongs to you, Jesus. But we mourn and we pray over the parts of the church that have departed from the truth, become social clubs that are devoid of the move of the Holy Spirit. No one gets saved. No one gets challenged. No one gets changed. God, we mourn over that. Father, help us to push back the darkness with light, to love sinners, to invest our time and our energy in developing relationships with people so that we can lead them to Christ. Help us, Lord, to be the light that shines in the darkness. And as we embrace mourning, Lord God, help us to focus on the comfort that awaits us in eternity. Let us not live for right now to lay our lives down so that we can find them. I pray it in Jesus' name. And I want you to keep your heads bowed. If you're here this morning and you've never had an opportunity to give your life to Jesus Christ, the Bible teaches that if we confess with our mouth and believe in our hearts that Jesus raised from the dead, we would be saved. God made it so easy. All we have to do is confess we're sinners and that we need a savior and then to receive Christ. What will happen if we do that? The Bible says that when we accept Christ, that we are born again. All things pass away and all things become new. You can have a clean slate and a fresh start. You can have a new beginning. You can be forgiven today. God said he would fill you with the Holy Spirit and that your life from that moment forward would change. You say, how in the world is that possible? It's possible because of what Jesus did on the cross. He shed his blood to save sinners, that whosoever would call upon the Lord would be saved. If you want that this morning, you want a clean slate and a fresh start, you want a new beginning, you want to give your life to Christ. You say, Pastor, I've tried everything to be good, to be better. None of it works. It'll never work. We can't clean ourselves up. We can't be good enough. We can't stop sinning, but we can confess it. and We can come to the Savior, and he makes everything brand new. If you want that this morning, just lift your hand up today. How many people would say, I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life. I want forgiveness. I want a brand new start. If you're here, praise God, most important moment of our service this morning a moment that changed my life many years ago. Father, I pray this morning that if all of us have made that commitment to you, that each of us would consider the trajectory of our life, how we spend our time and our energy. Father, if we don't mourn over the things that break your heart, 
but we're intoxicated by the pleasures of this world, we repent. And we ask that you would once again break our hearts for what breaks yours. That we'd care about others, the hurting and the broken, the people that society's thrown away, that we would reach out to them with the love of Jesus. I ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Give them a hand clap of praise this morning. Praise God.